Father, even as we begin um, this new year of 2012, God, we say with our time and with our finance, Lord, with all that we are, God, we want to offer the, you the first fruits, Lord. God, we want to give you the first fruit offering of our lives. And so, God, we even ask specifically, Lord, I lift up every individual that's a part of this community, a part of the house of prayer, Lord, that gathers with us on Sundays. And, Lord, I ask, Lord, for exponential increase, Lord, to come to them financially. Lord, I ask, Father God, that even this would be a year that debt is erased. Lord, that there is a multiplication of income. God, we say, us make us those, Lord, that are wise stewards of finance. Lord, make us those that can even sow into the kingdom, that can finance works of justice. Lord, we ask that you would make us those, Lord, that are found faithful before you as wise stewards. Lord, that you could entrust finance, Lord, that we could be used, Lord, as your hands and feet, Lord, to administer your works upon the earth, O oh God. So God, we just thank you for multiplication in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anything else that needs to be announced? Um, practicals, prayer sets. Um, is there anything else? What's that? Oh yeah, go ahead. You. <laughs> I don't know all the information. <laughs> um, well, this the January 14th, we're starting a justice block. Um, it's going to happen right after our regular prayer set on Saturday, so it'll be 9 to 11. Um, and so pretty much it'll be intercession specifically yeah. focused on issues of justice, which would be like abortion, human sex trafficking, trafficking. So if you have a heart for that. Sorry, can you repeat that again? What? Can you say what that again? The whole thing? Yes. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, we're starting a justice block on January 14th, so it'll be 9 to 11 right after prayer set here. On Saturday. prayer set. On Saturdays, 9 to 11, there's going to be a justice set. It's like, so pretty much, you know how they gather right now from 7 to 9 on Saturdays? It's pretty much like there'll be a two-hour set that'll just continue after that two-hour block, but it'll be specifically focused on issues of justice. Whereas, as you, I don't know if you've been to the other Saturdays, but it's, um, you know, the topics change, you know, kind of praying for specifically college campuses, revival, um, but the topics can change weekly. But that prayer set, you'll know, is specifically for issues of justice. So Which This Saturday at the courthouse, we have the silent siege. Which I need to talk to you about that. I, yeah, so just so we can talk about whether we want to co coordinate with Dave Hill, blah, blah, blah. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll get with you, and then we'll figure out what we're doing from there. So, um, But I think that's it. I think that's it for announcements. So pretty much today, um, what I'm going to be sharing with you about is as a community of people, kind of like our full-time and part-time staff, we're starting the first 21 days of 2012 with a corporate fast. Um, and so two things that I want to do today is I, number one, want to give you the biblical understanding of fasting and uh, from a biblical perspective. Um, two, I really want to envision your heart with faith and with hope because let's just be honest. Fasting is not a really exciting topic. Like, if we kind of put it out there on the web, uh, come this week because we're talking about fasting, it's not something that our flesh has a tendency to love and to embrace. Um, but really what I want to do is, from a biblical perspective, give you understanding of the precedence for it, but also give you testimony of just from living a lifestyle of fasting and see the Lord, how I've seen the Lord move through fasting to testify of that, but also cast a vision for us as a community, what we feel like even the Lord wants to do through this season of fasting. Um, 
For those of you that don't know me, I was, uh, my life was dramatically impacted by the Lord when I was probably like 15, 16 years old, um, where it was really when I actually began to give my life to prayer and fasting was at that age. So it was a, a really dramatic encounter that I had with the Lord and it immersed my life in the study of the word and um, <clears throat> so that's kind of, and just to be honest, I was raised in a home where fasting was a reality. Like, I can remember being, like, four years old and being at, like, a church picnic or something and somebody offering my mom food and me being like, oh, no, she's fasting. And I remember my mom pulling me aside and being like, don't do that. Just don't don't tell people. Like, that's not something I, you're supposed to do in public. And then I got a little older, and then I would just, like, if somebody was, like, begging her to eat something and she was denying it, I would pull them aside and go, she's fasting. Like, for some help, and came up because I didn't scream it to the whole group. I was <laughs> still doing it discreetly. Um... But just see, I mean, honestly, I would wake up in the morning. I have no, I mean, at that age, I was probably six. And I can never remember really a morning that I didn't wake up and find my mom either at her desk with her Bible open weeping or on her knees at the couch. So prayer and fasting was like a regular part of our home. I was never forced to, never. Um, but as I got older into my teenage years, I was invited to. Um, so I think I was like 13 the first time that I did like a three-day juice fast by choice, like I said, never forced. Um, and honestly, at 13, I was just like, I mean, it killed my stomach like crazy. I did it. I, like I wanted to because I felt like there was something for me to experience there. But I didn't, I can't say I felt like the tangible presence of God. I can't say I felt any benefit or reward from it. Um, but I will say that at that age, I kind of was mystified, kind of going, why does anybody do this? <laughs> why would anybody? Why does anybody? Um, so that was when I was like 13. But then when I was 18, I actually moved to Michigan. And that's where I went to Bible school. And when at the age of 18 is really where before where fasting became a regular part of my life, where two days a week I would set apart to juice fast. And the only reason I'm saying this and testifying of this is so you have an understanding of that was actually, so if I was 18, that was like 15 years ago, pretty much. Um, so for the past 15 years, it's been a regular discipline in a part of my life. And this is what I want to say to you, is that I believe it's one of the greatest gifts that God has given us, to tenderize our heart and to align our heart with His. That instead of viewing fasting as almost like a painful discipline that's really hard to do, that when you view it through an accurate lens, but even more than that, when you experience it rightly, like meaning, I've seen people go on fast, they abstain from food, but yet they never change their time or their priorities. So they're still filled with vegging out to TV, talking on the phone endlessly, zoning out on Facebook, emailing. It's like their life continues, they're just going without food. But really when you posture your heart, and that's ultimately what I want to say is fasting, if you define it any way, you're really posturing and positioning yourself to hear from the Lord and to align yourself with Him more fully. So the important factor is not whether you're going without meats or sweets or whether you're abstaining from coffee or like all of those things. It's really, yes, you're abstaining from some things, but the purpose of it is you're making room to hear from the Lord and to be in, it's almost like an intensified season of, of seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord in an intensified way. So if you're going to look at fasting one way, that's ultimately what it is. It's an intensified season of seeking the Lord. And um, I can honestly say that those seasons in Michigan are, are were even foundational for 
even I think a grace that was released upon my life later. And I use the, I'm going to use the word grace for fasting because I believe that that's really what it is. I've seen a lot of people where it's almost like if we're going to call a community fast, you can see the utter dread of going, oh my God, like this is just, <laughs> but when there's a grace, there's a place in your heart of kind of going, here I go, I'm going to sign up again. And I can honestly say, I usually, the first three days are usually, my mind is foggy, my head's not clear, my stomach hurts, I want to hurt somebody. You know, that kind of, <laughs> it's just hard. But for some reason, once you get to the third day, it's almost like you think, why would I ever go back? Like, because it, it, you are in such a place where there's a grace that gets released, where it's almost like your body has now acclimated in your spirit is now being awakened to another measure. Like, it's just that. And I, I want to say this, is that although we're going to talk biblically about fasting, and I'm going to share with you some testimony about fasting, what I want to say is there is a degree of fasting that is just simply a mystery. It's mysterious. It's one of the ways of God that you can't always understand. Like, the ways of God are far beyond anything we're able to fathom or comprehend. So it's not like you can bring it down to a science of, like, well, when you fast, X, Y, Z happens, and then on the 10th day, an angel shows up, and, you know, this is how it all works. Because, honestly, some of it I don't get at all. I can honestly say there's sometimes... There's such incredible either breakthrough of revelation or understanding or grace or strength or something that's released upon my life that I'll honestly say, I wonder if somehow this breakthrough is attributed to a season where I was obedient in fasting and I didn't see, I didn't see an immediate, tangible, sudden breakthrough, but I wonder if somehow in this present moment I'm reaping because it's a spiritual principle of sowing and reaping. Our entire lives is a spiritual principle of sowing and reaping. And sometimes you actually may reap in the future. And I know some of you are kind of like, okay, wait, she's talking about fasting, but she's, she's also referencing rewards, and she's also re referencing reaping. Let me say this. Obviously, when we fast, we don't do it with that goal or that our ambition. Our, our desire is for more of Jesus. But the Bible plainly says... In Matthew 6, where Jesus is basically outlining for the Pharisees, like, right and wrong religion, he goes through religious obligation, when he says, he says to them, when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. He goes through when you pray and when you fast. And he gives them the way in which we're supposed to pray and fast. So, right there, what Jesus is saying is that this is regular, normal, healthy Christianity. Involves prayer and fasting regularly. But also what he says is that when you fast, he says, go into the secret place and you don't fast before man. You don't afflict yourself before man, that you're fasting in the secret place before God. And it says, God who sees you in secret will reward you openly. So it's Jesus himself saying, you will be rewarded. He's not, he's not saying, so for us to have that religious paradigm of going, I'm not looking for any kind of, yeah, there is a place of you are sowing into the spirit because you want to reap in the spirit. There's a desire there, and it's a good, godly, right desire. But that season of my life in Michigan, when I really feel like there was a real grace um, for prayer and fasting that was released, um, the passage of scripture that was really awakened in my heart the most was in Luke 5, 35. Um, most of you are familiar with the story that basically they come to Jesus saying, how come it is that the disciples of John the Baptist fast regularly, but yet the disciples of Jesus we find eating and drinking and amongst the crowds? And so the question was coming to Jesus, and Jesus' response was that when the bridegroom is taken, 
then in those days you will fast. And basically what he was saying was, I'm here amongst them. They have me in the flesh. Fasting, what he's outlining there is fasting is about spiritual longing. And I am here in the manifestation, in the fullness of my flesh. There's nothing to long for. I, they have me in their midst. But when I'm taken from them, when I'm no longer amongst them, that that is when they will fast because they long and they yearn for more of me. And I can honestly say in that season that the grace that was released upon my life, it wasn't like, a, oh, I have to fast. It was such a yearning for more of the presence of God and such a desire for more of God. It was more like my only option is too fast. Like that is the only um, kind of my only my only way out at this point. And what I basically in this issue of fasting, what I want to address today is a couple of things. Yes. Number one, fasting biblically was about abstaining from food. There's several biblical fasts. I mean, Esther fasted three days without food or water. But we have several biblical fasts where um, water was partaken of for 40 days. You have Daniel who partook of um, vegetables primarily. He did have some grains as well for 21 days. So there's several different biblical fasts. But in our day and in our time, it has become a very um, effective fast to fast media. Because obviously in biblical times, they were not constantly inundated with an influx of entertainment and media. In our day and time, it is the greatest um, distraction, but also robber of time in our generation, is the issue of media. So today, I just want you to know that when I'm referencing fasting, I'm referencing it in the sense of, yes, food. I mean, the Lord might call you, not necessarily to food, because you have a very um, intensive studies or things like that, but just like even caffeine or sugar, just if, if there's a real addiction to sugar and things like that. But the, the, the key component is, is that when grace is released, there was at one point I was doing a 40-day fast. I was a nanny for two very small children, which as you know, small kids are demanding. Not just physically, but like emotionally and mentally, they wear you out like two-year-olds. <laughs> I mean, just between whining and tantrums, and you always have to kind of outsmart them a little. Like, <laughs> you need to <laughs> just be on your toes. But not only that, they move a lot. They want to be carried, all of that. But I can remember... Um, this particular, I was working for people that weren't saved, and I remember thinking, if they in any way figure out I'm fasting, they're going to think I'm a lunatic, and they're probably going to fire me from my job. I, like, work with their kids, right? And they worked out of their home. It was, like, this whole complex situation. So every day, I would come and put my juice and water in the fridge and just desperately hope no one was going to ask me, like, where's your lunch? Why aren't you eating? Um, but the also the really remarkable thing is that after 40 days that season of um, juice and water, I actually hadn't lost any weight. I stayed the same, which wasn't, didn't always happen. Sometimes I would flat out look emaciated. <laughs> like, and, but I can remember thinking they're going to start asking. So at the end of that season, um, I, she, the, the, my employers had never found out. But it was really interesting because years later, they got saved. They ended up getting saved. She's like one of my dearest friends now. She's like a sister to me. Um, but I can remember years later, her telling me about certain things she was experiencing and encountering the Lord and the presence of God, but it was all during that 40-day period when I was in her home and praying for certain things and just seeing the manifestation of even breakthrough and salvation and things like that come even to their household. Can't say I was like necessarily like targeting them in prayer, but you know, you, you kind of casually are praying for those that are around you during that. So just hearing the answers to prayer... Um, but I, I will say 
that the grace to do that without food and to be able to continue with my normal life and my responsibilities and still think clearly, that there's a grace that the Lord releases on us in seasons and times. And so not to almost like if somebody else is fasting a certain thing or a certain way, not to compare that somehow, just do whatever you feel like the Lord is calling you to do. Whatever you feel like he's releasing grace upon your heart. But in that, I will say, like I had prefaced it before, that fasting for the purpose of it, it's an intensified season of seeking the Lord. So to really offer him and ask him um, in what way to posture yourself that you can seek him. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to read you. This is one of my favorite biblical promises out of Jeremiah 29, verse 12 through 14. You will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I, I, partially, I love this because it's such a promise from God that it says that we're going to seek him and we're going to find him. But he also clearly, not just here, but all throughout scripture, is that he basically delineates that he will be found when he is pursued with a genuinely hungry heart. He says, when you search for me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. And it's, it's a little bit frightening because some of these um, topics we don't really like to address in the body of Christ because then it almost makes it sound like there's a prerequisite for how God will answer us or how God will, um, how we'll find God. But it's interesting because oftentimes when, in the Bible, when we look at the promises of God, there is something that he has laid out as a prerequisite or even a way in which he's longing for us to seek him. And even in this context, he's saying, if you search for me with your whole heart, I can't tell you how many counseling sessions I've sat in with people where it's been like that. I can't hear the voice of God. God doesn't speak to me. And the hardest, most difficult thing I think with Christianity is that somehow we think that God is afar off and he's not speaking. But we fail to take the responsibility and recognize that we're just not posturing ourselves to hear from him. You know, I love it when people are kind of like, well, God, I can't find God and I can't get clarity. I mean, it's the hard, like, rubber meets the road where you want to sit down and say, well, how much have you opened the word this week to just take time and let him speak to you? I mean, somehow we kind of want him to come to us on our terms versus posturing ourselves so that we can hear from him. And... I, I say all that and say that, yes, there's also seasons where everything within us, we can be seeking him, and it can feel as though there's no answer, that that's not the rejection of God, that's not the denial of God, and that's not sin in our lives. That I, I personally feel like those are a gift from the Lord to even increase desire and longing, and there's something that's working within us. But that the overriding truth is, is that he says, when you search for me with all of your heart, and that's what he calls us to. And that is the place of answering. I love this because it really delineates the, the genuine hungry heart. The church must operate in sustained, intense prayer coupled with fasting in order for God's manifest power to break in in our midst. As long as we are content with um, the, the paraplegic, not, paraplegic not walking, the blind not seeing, and the deaf not hearing, we will go without these miracles. The breakthrough we long for will not happen without spiritual intensity, which is basically Jeremiah 29, 13, when we search for him with all of our heart. So in his, in his grace, in his grace, um, hold on one second. The Lord is making us a people who, who cannot live without the fullness of his blessing. 
our part, basically where we take the posture of prayer and fasting, is our part is to become so ruined with a high vision for all that God would give us that we simply cannot live with things as they are. When we as people and as individuals begin to say that we're hungry for God, and we begin to say, I desire more of God, ultimately, and, and hear me, if I make this statement and it sounds harsh to you, just know that I say it to myself. I'm not saying it to you, I'm saying it to we, to me. This is how I talk to myself. Really, ultimately, we cannot say that we are hungry for God unless it is affecting our choices, our decisions, our priorities, our time. If we're saying that we're hungry for God and we want to hear from Him, but we have yet to adjust some of the things in our life to make room for more of Him, we're not hungry for Him yet. What we are, and the true honesty of it, is we desire to be hungry. We, if we say that we desire more of God, but it, it has not yet inconvenienced our schedule or caused us, even in the posture of fasting, or in the posture of laying aside certain things to make more room for him, really what that indicates is we desire to desire God. We want to desire God, but hunger is defined by the fact that when we come to the place that we refuse to live as we are, that the present reality will not do, that our present circumstance, you know, in any situation, it can be a family relationship, it can be something that we're struggling with internally, emotionally, it can be just our status in life, emotionally, mentally, financially, any of those things. We can say that we're discontent, but we're honestly not discontent until it drives us to change. You, there's that place of reality and honestly that we just have to say, I'm not desperate enough to change anything right now. I'm not actually desperate enough to go without something. I'm not actually desperate enough to make the right decisions or altercations so that there can be a, a different result or something different released upon my heart. So really the, what the honesty has to be is if we're not at that place of just saying, God, I desire to hunger. For more of you. But I'm not actually in the place. I'm actually going to read to you this, this definition of hunger. Hunger. Our hunger isn't hunger unless it drives us to change, reprioritize, and alter our lives in order to obtain the object of our desire. Hunger is when we can no longer live, we can no longer live without more. When we make radical altercations to our lifestyle in order to pursue God. A good way to measure the reality of our hunger is if the measure and the extent to which we arrange our lives, our time, our money, and our comforts to pursue that which we are longing for. One of the notes that I had just written when I was writing about fasting and kind of like why we as a community, there's several biblical, which we're going to go through Isaiah, but there's several, several biblical examples of you know, Daniel, when he fasted, it shifted things in an entire nation. It released the purposes of God. And we fully believe in that form of fasting. But what we feel like for these first 21 days, it's the posturing of our hearts before the Lord, and it's dealing with the issue of desire. And what I think happens when we begin to fast, we actually become aware of how dull our hearts truly are. We live, and I'm saying we, the Western church, the, you know, the, the Americanized generation that we are, we live with such a dull heart, we are so unaware of our lack of God's presence. 
We are even so unaware of the drawing of the Holy Spirit upon us to seek Him, and, and we're not even responsive. We're completely dull and unaware. And it's not until we come into the posture of fasting that we begin to have our hearts tenderized and sensitized. Like, this is a good measure. When we talk about hunger, I mean, in our culture, in our society, most of us check our email more than we read the Word. I mean, most people would never think about going the entire day without checking their email, checking their Facebook page, of calling certain... There's some, some people that talk to certain people every single day. Like, it's just kind of an addiction that takes place. But if we really sit back and just say, how many days do you go through the entire day without sitting and reading the Word and taking time for the Holy Spirit to speak to you? I mean, that right there is a good picture of where our hunger is. When we wake up in the morning, if the first thing is our desire to meet face-to-face -face with the Lord. And hear me, when I say these things, I'm not saying anything in condemnation. Like, just against us. Is, it's, I think it's a snare in our culture and in our society. And there's so much of a... Like, honestly, you know, these smartphones that we all have? I think they're all making us really dumb. That's what I think. <laughs> I think they were created for productivity, which I'm all for. And Will can probably tell you it's probably a really good thing when I'm out with my son at a playground that I can check an email and approve something to go to print. That's awesome. Like, thank God I can do that. It goes to print. We don't delay Will or TriStar printing. <laughs> like, those kind of things are awesome. It's, it's great to have smartphones for that. But honestly, the addiction to data and information the addiction to, it, like, and when I say information, I mean needless information. Needless, completely needless information. You know, I was writing um, an article for someone that asked me to write something for them about entertainment. And one of the points that I was making in it is I said, you know, in our generation of people, people are so consumed with checking the status of people on Facebook more than they actually take time to ask God what's upon his heart. Like the addiction to know what's going on in the world and in society and keeping up and all the, I mean, that is an addiction. And in a good measure, whether it's TV, there might be like a certain program that you just have to know what's happening in the app. It like totally surprises me when I'm in conversations with people and they'll start talking about like seasons. And I'm like, when you're talking about season, what, like, I totally didn't get the concept that with TV shows, like, I guess they run in seasons and people follow and there's, like, episodes. Maybe you guys knew this. Okay, so this is, a, okay, this is common knowledge, I guess. Because <laughs> somebody was saying something about catching up on a season. And I'm like, and how are you, you know, so the whole DVR, we all know what a DVR is. We have one in our house. <laughs> all of those things, it's needless information. The fact of the matter is, at the end of every day, we have wasted time on something, on someone. I'm not saying people are a waste of time. But have you ever just sat in a conversation and sat there going, oh my gosh, like I've listened to the same sentence 500 times and all you do is complain and whine. And honestly, you're probably there just to give them like, the quick word of the Lord and then move on. Like, <laughs> stop listening to utter profanity, babble, complaining, gossiping. I mean, waste of your time. At the end of our days, and I love John Piper. How many of you guys read John Piper? He actually says that because with the way of computer technology, that every time you're logging into your computer, there's a record of everything that you're doing, everything you're logging on to. I mean, Facebook actually keeps an account of everything you click on, everything you look at, everything you comment on. 
He actually says that the computer at the end of the age will be used to give you an account of how you used all your time. And for the God of all eternity to stand and you look upon your life, you look upon the minute upon minutes that you were given, the hours upon hours you were entrusted, the years upon years, and what did we sow our life to? Most of it's vanity. Most of it's worthless. In a moment, it's counted as worthless. It was someone's new dog. It was some. I mean, what is it? Like, honestly, what is it? At the end, and when you go to bed at night, how has it had enhanced you as a person? Like Paul says, all things are acceptable, not all things are profitable. It may fall into the line of acceptable, but is it something that profited you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that brought you closer? That actually the, the profession of our mouth that we hunger and we desire for God, if our actions are lining up with that. So John Piper actually says, and so he went through a season where he actually got off of Twitter and Facebook because he actually said there was a, a measure of depression that was coming upon him, just recognizing his life was given to worthlessness. I mean, the conviction of his heart. And hear me, hear me, hear me. I love technology. I mean, I, I love the fact that I can post pictures of my son and then all of my in-laws and my family members can see them and it's like instant communication. It's awesome for communication, effective communication. I mean, it saves you time when you're using it effectively. So I'm for it. D don't think I'm saying we all have to get off the web. <laughs> don't do it. I use the web. <laughs> but what I'm saying is a good indication is, is that during even the 21 days, if you abstain, wh whether it be from Facebook or whether it be from your show, that would be a good indication of what is an addiction in our life. And honestly, what it is that we're sowing more time into than the presence of God or the study of the Word. It's a good indication of where our hunger and where our desire is when we take the posture in the place of prayer and fasting to abstain from things that actually may be distracting us from the presence of God. Um, Fasting demands that we address every air in our life that is not in agreement with the Spirit. It requires that we declare war against sin and Satan and against a, and against a religious spirit. However, it releases a glorious, violent impact on our lives by freeing us from our sinful ways and filling us with the revelation of God. To be spiritually violent means that we pay any price or even suffer any self-denial in order to obey God's will. Solomon said it well, if a man would give for love all of the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised, Solomon 8, 7. In other words, when love is working its way in our hearts, there is no price too high <coughs> for the one that we love. And then on and on, um, I'll just finish it with, for, for the one he loves, a man will give all of the possessions a, of his house freely. Fasting deals with the issue of hunger. We willingly abstain from that which is acceptable to gain that which is otherwise unattainable. Um, I'm going to just go through um, a couple of passages of scripture and just give you understand, understanding of the purpose of fasting biblically. In Isaiah chapter 58, most of you are really probably familiar with Isaiah chapter 58. Um, in verse 6, it says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to, and to let the oppressed go free, that, that you break every yoke, 
Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go forth before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you shall call, the, you shall call and the Lord will answer you. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take, take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and, satis, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. He will satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose, whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall, shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Just right here in this passage of scripture, it's speaking about the true fast, which first it actually starts out with basically saying, you really can't fast and seek your own way, seek your own pleasure. It's really that if you're going to fast, that you, you come to the place of denying the self and even laying down your life to serve sacrificially and to give to others. But then the promise that comes forth is number one, that you'll have light break forth. How many of us would like a little light breaking forth in our life? The, that's the place of clarity, revelation, understanding. We see clearly in right perspective. Um, it says that you'll have he healing that would spring forth speedily. That's, I mean, when, when we're talking healing, we're talking mentally, emotionally, physically, emotionally. Righteousness shall go before you. Glory will be your rear guard. You will see answers to prayer. He will guide you. He will satisfy you. And he'll strengthen you. I mean, those are exciting promises to look at as far as being guided to be satisfied. I mean, this is like the utter paradox. So when you fast, and by all definitions of it, it seems as though you're completely unsatisfied because you're leaving your flesh in a place of denial. But the promise is, is that he will come and satisfy you in that place. That, and that's the place when we posture ourselves, of when we willingly deny and when we willingly forsake those things of the flesh, that he comes and he answers and he satisfies. Um, the next passage of scripture that I want to look at is, um, I'll just reference some of these for you so you don't have to do a ton of flipping, but Daniel 9, 3 and Daniel 10, 12. Um, basically, in fasting, it's, it's like I shared earlier, it's the simplicity of setting our hearts to seek the Lord. We find in Daniel, it says that Daniel intentionally set aside seasons to seek God. For those of you that don't know the background of Daniel, he stood in one of the most wicked, ungodly places where he was utterly persecuted, but he stood with strength. Not only did he stand with strength, but he prevailed in the midst of his enemies. He had such a spirit of revelation upon his life. I mean, and ultimately it goes back to when you study Daniel's life, he was a man given to prayer and fasting. It was the fasted lifestyle that was fuel for Daniel to prevail in the midst of Babylon. That, that is the answer. That is the key. And that is the answer for us. That in the midst of wickedness, in the midst of perversion, that instead of us coming under that Babylonian system, the only way for us to rise above it is the place of prayer and fasting. It's a gift. It's a tool that God gives us to prevail in that place. Um, 
Also, we actually see Daniel 9.20 and um, in Acts 3.19, we actually see that fasting is the place of confession of sins. We find Daniel. He's an intercessor for the entire nation, but we find him even repenting on the sin, uh, for the sins of the nation, of weeping and mourning and repenting that they had turned away from the Lord. So it's really a place where it tenderizes our hearts in repentance. Um, uh, also, for fasting, it's the fulfillment, we're seeking the fulfillment of God's promises. One of the stories that I love is out of the book of Acts. How many of you guys are familiar with the story of Cornelius in Acts? Like, so crazy, but it specifically says that Cornelius was fasting. So at the end of his fast, here he is, he's a Gentile. He's a Gentile. Salvation had not yet come to the Gentile. So he's fasting. And then it's at that time that he calls for Peter, and he actually specifies, like the angel tells him, it's Simon, no, it's, it's Peter, whose surname is Simon, like the accuracy of what comes to him at the tail end of his fasting. So then he calls for Peter, Peter comes and preaches the gospel, and all of Cornelius' household, and not just his house and his family, but like his friends are saved. And this is, a, this is a man that was seeking the Lord in the place of fasting. So salvation comes to an entire household. It's the fulfillment of God's purposes that we see released. And that, I mean, you could be fasting for the fulfillment of God's purposes, his promises over your life, but that could apply to your family, seeking the Lord for his, the fulfillment of his promises over your family. That could be a city. I mean, whatever the Lord lays upon your heart. But I think each and every one of us, can feel that desire and that yearning for the, the, the fullness of God's prophetic promises over our life that they would come to pass. So here we see with Cornelius um, in Acts 10, 1 through 4, and then it's actually on with um, verse 30 through 31. Um, <clears throat> we see on a national level that fasting is used to stop crisis. You guys all know the story of Hannah. She's barren. And you find Hannah praying and fasting that she would conceive a son, and who comes from her womb is Samuel. Samuel, who ends up being a prophet to the nation. It says that the word of the Lord, that literally, the, the, well, I'll say it this way, it says that the, the lamp at that time was dim, which was symbolic of the word of the Lord, that there was no word of the Lord that was being trumpeted in the land. Samuel comes on the scene, and the word of the Lord is now trumpeted again, and it comes through a woman, Hannah, who's barren, who through fasting and prayer conceived a prophet in her womb. So we see Hannah, that she was used to the place of prayer and fasting, that it actually was deliverance for a nation. We see Joel. Most of you are familiar with the whole book of Joel is a prophecy and it's a call, fast and pray, judgment is coming, but if you turn to the Lord, it can be averted. It, it's, it's truly the remedy for a nation in crisis. Jonah we see him going to the city of Nineveh, and a city that could, should have been ultimately utterly destroyed. But because they turned to the Lord in sackcloth and ashes seeking him, mercy comes upon an entire wicked nation. It's amazing. Esther, her three-day fast, the entire Jewish race should have been slaughtered. But the plans of the enemy were averted because she called her people to fast. I mean, the, fasting is not kind of like a marginal issue in the Bible, like these really radical, insane people that do it. It's really the norm. <laughs> it's really, like I said in the beginning, when Jesus said, when you fast, he, he was setting it out as it's our normal Christian. It's part of healthy life. 
Just like you need food to sustain your physical body and you would die without it, the place of prayer and fasting in the Word of God, it's how our body is sustained. I love it. My little nephew was actually over during the holidays and, you know, we had the web stream or some worship playing and I heard him say to Daryl, he goes, Uncle D, do you guys like only listen to worship? Because I only hear worship music in this house. <laughs> and, you know, you can see Daryl's like, how do I answer a five-year-old? You know, like, so he has understanding and... And I loved it because Daryl goes, yeah, buddy, that's pretty much what we listen to. And he goes, yeah, but I don't get it. He's like, don't you know? And he starts, like, singing different songs off the radio. And um, he goes, so why, why don't you listen to that? And, you know, you don't want to give him, like, a really long answer. And he finally just looks at him and he goes, you know what, buddy? He goes, it makes my heart strong. And when he said it, my, my little nephew went, oh, makes your heart strong. And I said, yeah, like your spirit, Aiden, like your spirit gets stronger when you worship. And he goes, yeah. He goes, like, Meme's love makes my heart strong, which is my mom. <laughs> and, and I said, but you do. You feel like it builds you up. And, it, and, um, and so, I mean, the kid's totally getting it. He's five years old. Because I'm thinking, how do you explain secular versus sacred? And, yeah. I'm like, how do you get into holy versus profane? Yeah. How are you going to explain, really, the complexity of this? And at that age, he got it. And he goes, yeah, you know that song? Because he learned a song from us, um, Your Love, It Never Fails, It Never Gives Up, It Never Runs Out on Me. He goes, when I sing that, it changes my whole mood. And I said, that's it, buddy. <laughs> I'm like, it's just, it's what you're thinking about. It's what you're singing. It's what you're meditating on. And it's amazing at five years old, the understanding of that. But that's really what it comes down to with what we give our time to. It's, it's feeding us. Like when I said that we're all going to waste our life on something, we might not be able to outrightly like look at my life, look at your life, and determine what that may be. But in every decision, in every relationship, with how we spend our money, the way we prioritize our life, all of us are going after something. Some of us are going after looking successful. I, I need to make it look successful. That's the great ambition. That's the great drive. So that's how everything is prioritized. Some of us, it's in, we want to be intellectual. We, we want to be the, the smartest, the brightest, the most. Some of us, it's finance. We want financial security. We want financial wealth. Some of us, it's love. Some of, I mean, there's something at the very core that is driving us. And really what the ultimate goal and the place that we really become whole as a person is when that obsession, when that, what possesses our very emotional desire is when it's union with Christ. When that's what shapes every decision, every desire, every priority, how we spend our time and our finance, that's really, and hear, hear me, I'm not saying we get there overnight or next week or even next year. I'm not saying that we come to that place of union with Christ, but when that becomes our aim. Do you know that when the Bible, like in Chronicles, where it says that the eye of the Lord searches all of the earth for a heart that is perfect towards him, that word perfect doesn't mean without any fault that you cannot. What that word perfect means is that your whole heart is after him. And when we come to that place that with every decision of how we sow our time, our finance, what we look upon, what we read, what we speak about, all of those things that we're after him with everything within us, I can honestly say that when that becomes our great ambition in life, that that is the place that we find peace. That is the place that we find rest. That's the place that we find significance. 
That is the place that regardless of our outward circumstances, that we feel successful, that we don't need anybody else to validate us, that we don't need to be obsessed with um, public opinions or outward opinions and all of those things. That is the place of such inward prosperity because we were created for union with Christ. Um, somehow that came out of averting national crisis. <laughs> um, but also fasting for a greater release of power. We pray for God's power to bring healing to family members in a national and international crisis. When the disciples did not see the demonized boy free, Jesus, you guys are probably all familiar, in Matthew 17, verse 15 through 21, this is where they came back to Jesus and they said, Lord, have, um, oh, the father actually came and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And the disciples said, why could we not cast the demon out of him? And Jesus answered, because of your unbelief. He said, because of your unbelief, and then he went on to say, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. So the interesting thing is he actually didn't say, because you didn't pray and fast. He didn't say that. He said, because of your unbelief. And see, that's what we need to realize, is that prayer and fasting, it literally cultivates a life of faith. If you want faith to increase in your heart and in your life, if you give yourself to prayer and fasting, you'll watch faith exponentially increase. But ultimately, he's saying it's because of your unbelief. And he says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. It's, it, faith is cultivated in the place of prayer and fasting. And ultimately, it's in that place when we're not operating in prayer and fasting that we find that there's places of unbelief and hopelessness. Um, for an open heaven, prayer and fasting releases angels in, uh, on a personal and national national level in John 151 actually is where we find um, Jesus said, most assuredly, he was speaking to Nathaniel, um, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Um, when we fast, God uses it to bring direction in our life. Um, we find in the book of Acts, Acts 14, 23, and also in Acts 13, 1 through 2, we find that Paul, in the making of decisions, they fasted. When they needed clarity and to hear from the Lord, they fasted. When they were going to pick the 12 apostles, they fasted. Like, they never moved apart from the unction and the clarity of the Holy Spirit. It was, I don't know how many of you guys are aware, and maybe you aren't, and it's awesome if you aren't, but there are several, um, like, young, like, I don't want to say younger, but movements that, hi, that are emerging in our generation, and some of them even in the place of, they denounce fasting. Like, they'll say that it's not biblical. But just like we've been looking at, <laughs> like Old Testament, New Testament, it is such a pervading theme, and it's a gift that God has given us, that in order to seek Him in an intensified way, that that's what He called it. And it's, it's a tool that He's given to us. It's not a legalistic requirement. But it's interesting to me, because these like new, younger movements that are emerging, you know, coming up with some of these things, I just sit there and kind of go... Have you, number one, have you read your Bible? But number two, like, have you even looked at church history? Like, the fathers of our faith, the great men and women, the heroes of our faith, when you look at their lives, they were lives of prayer and fasting. Undeniably, that was the mark that was upon their lives, was prayer and fasting. And so these kind of younger new movements that are emerging that want to basically say that fasting isn't biblical and we should all just feast all the time and indulge because... 
whatever. I don't understand their biblical precedence for that. But like we've looked at today, I mean, this is just a glimpse at the Word of God. That, like I said, when Jesus said, when you pray, when you fast. That it actually is a part of healthy Christianity. And it's part of what makes our spirit healthy in order to be sensitized and hear from the Lord and experience Him the way that we are intended to. Um, the last is for grace to understand. We actually see all through the book of Daniel that when we ask to receive more insight about God and His Word, and specifically even about national or even personal things, that the grace of understanding is released to us, that we see in a way that we did not previously. But like I had mentioned before, it's, it's not necessarily just the abstaining of food. It's like I had said, it's the posturing of our hearts when we, when we posture ourselves in that way. Um, the last thing I want to go over, just wrapping up here, is the, the how-tos. For some of you, you may have never have fasted before in your life. It may be something that you just have not experienced. And in that, what I would say is, like I shared earlier, my testimony is I had started out um, kind of with a three-day here and a, you know, a week-long or um, you know, was sometimes two weeks. Uh, if the 21 days feels overwhelming to you, kind of like 21 days is a very long amount of time, what I would encourage you if you've never fasted any kind of food before is use the 21 days to intentionally set aside something, whether it be television, whether it be Facebook, whether it be secular music, something that in your life is a daily part of your life that you feel as though if I put this aside during this 21 days, the, even if it's just 15 minutes, I mean, you might be addicted to a certain magazine. Like, it could be something, I'm not, I'm not saying sin, I'm not saying, like, going to, well, it's awesome if you want to abstain from sin. <laughs> I encourage that as well. But, <laughs> but I would say, I think that from the posture of prayer and fasting, you'll actually find that sin and addictions will fall to the wayside when you give yourself to that place of prayer and fasting. That it's not really through effort, it's through the place of, like we had started out with the first passage of scripture, it's when our heart is really lovesick and longing for more of him, that it overtakes every other desire. Um, but I would just encourage you, and only you know, I mean, it could be something as insignificant as um, a house design magazine that you look at every day, a fashion design magazine, but it's those kind of things where you actually look and say, okay, I go days on end without actually looking into the Word of God and taking time to hear from the Lord. So this is something that I can put aside during these 21 days. I'm going to abstain, willingly abstain from something that is acceptable so that I can actually make room in my life. And it's kind of like I said earlier, is that ultimately, if you don't define fasting by what food or what media you're abstaining from, but define fasting as it's an intensified season of seeking the Lord. And whatever expression that looks like for you. Um, I know for Daryl and I, um, during this 21 days, we're doing a Bible reading plan together. Uh, I would really encourage, if you feel as though you want to get into the Word of God, like, and I do encourage you daily during your fast, even if it's just like one passage of Scripture, if you're not used to being in the Word, be in the Word daily. But I do encourage you to get a Bible reading plan because it really helps. It, it's almost like it sets a goal in front of you. Most of you have smartphones. There's a zillion Bible reading plans out there. You can actually pick certain ones for 21 days. The one we're doing is a 30-day. It's the New Testament in 30 days. It's one of my favorite. Um, but several of those, what it does is it gives you a goal. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like today I'm reading this passage of scripture. For some of you, it might just be one book of the Bible to get through in 21 days. And that's amazing if you set aside just 10 minutes a day to, to read. Um, 
Let me see if there was any other under practicals. I went over different types of fasts. Um, uh, and then the last thing regarding the Word of God is I also really encourage a specific prayer time daily. It helps, really, if it's like... I, we were on a conference call with Lou a couple weeks ago, and he was sharing to us actually out of Isaiah... And he was talking about how the Lord, um, the Lord was really speaking to him about the devotional life of Jesus. And um, in this particular passage, it was actually testifying of how Jesus was awakened early in the morning. And how early in the morning the Lord would speak to him. And early in the, it, it was this whole thing about early in the morning. Um, not all of you can do early in the morning. But I would encourage you that if it's late at night, wherever it is, like during the 21 days, to kind of say, I actually, at one season of my life, between work and school, it was easiest for me to take my lunch break. That was just the easiest thing for me to do is I would take my lunch break and I would take that hour and I would go somewhere else. So noon for me during my fasting season was noontime was my hour with the Lord. It wasn't early in the morning. It wasn't late at night. It was smack dab in the middle of the day. But because I was fasting, I wasn't having lunch. So, I mean, those kind of, it doesn't have to look a certain way. It doesn't have to um, <coughs> express itself a certain way. But just between you and the Lord, where you can give him during that season of time, you know, a block of time in the word, in a block of time in prayer, um, but also abstaining from uh, the other things that are distractions. Why don't we stand to our feet? Does anybody have any questions about this topic? I know we covered a lot of scripture and kind of... Anybody have any questions before we... Yeah, Jeff. Um, I God, just even as we've taken this time to even define what hunger is, and that oftentimes, Lord, we we say that we're hungry for you, God, and we even ourselves would think that we're hungry for you, but our hunger in no way affects or produces change. Lord, it in no way causes us to reprioritize or alter any of our decisions or our time to acquire that which is the object of our hunger. But God, Lord, we recognize today, God, that even in the natural, God, that if we're truly hungry, Lord, if we truly have the ache for food, God, that there's nothing that would stand in the way of us finding food and being satisfied. So God, I ask, Lord, even as we consecrate the first 21 days of this new year to you, God, we ask, Father, would you make us those, Lord, that even move beyond saying that we're hungry. Lord, we even just right now, God, we give you the honesty of our hearts of saying, Lord, we desire to hunger. God, our lives may not even right now reflect hunger. God, we may not be those that uh, have previously been willing to abstain or even put anything aside in order to go after the object of our desire. But God, today we posture our hearts before you. God, we say, Lord, during these 21 days, God, anything that stands in the way, Lord, of us seeing you and knowing you, Lord, we ask, Lord, that anything that we look upon more than we look upon your word, God, anything that we crave, Lord, more than we crave your spirit, Lord, I ask, Lord, even any information that we pursue, Lord, above and beyond and even more violently than we pursue the knowledge of who you are. Lord, we ask, God, would you make us keenly aware. We ask for the spirit of revelation upon our hearts and lives. 
or even that which keeps us away from the object of our desire. God, we ask that any place that we are more fascinated with the statuses of man rather than knowing what's upon your heart. God, any place, Lord, even as we discussed, Lord, that we're all wasting our lives upon something. God, whether it's beauty, whether it's love, whether it's finance, whether it's success or significance. God, we say that we want the greatest ambition of our life to be union with Christ. So God, anything that's keeping us God, we ask, Lord, that you would reveal. Lord, even now, we just ask that you'd give us, Lord, speak to our hearts concerning these 21 days. God, what is something that we can give to you? Lord, what is a way that we can give you more of our time, more of our affection, more of our devotion, more of our passion, more of our affections, Father? We ask that even as Jesus declared that when the bridegroom is taken away, then you will fast. God, we say, make us those that are keenly acquainted with longing. God, make us those that are so desperate that we cannot continue with life as it is, the reality that we have known, but that we're truly desperate for more of you. Lord, even right now, we just even speak over every person in this room, Lord, that even the failures and the successes of 2011 are behind us. That any voice that would seek to condemn or accuse, that it's silenced in Jesus' name. But Lord, even like the Apostle Paul declared that forgetting those things that are behind I press forward to those things that are ahead. God, we recognize, Lord, that both failure and success can be crippling. Lord, if we glory in the successes of yesterday, of what we attained or what we acquired or who we were or our status, Lord, that that can cripple us just as much and keep us from holy desperation today. So, God, we willingly choose, Lord, to shut the door on the past. God, we thank you, Lord. We speak over every individual life in this place, Lord, that there would be fresh grace released upon them to pursue you with everything within them. Lord, we set apart these 21 days, and God, we say we want to seek you in an intensified way, Father. the very tangible, real manifestation of that with a new year, that the slate is clean. Lord, it's a year to begin again and to dream again. So God, this night, God, we just speak hope over every individual life in this place. Lord, that you would breathe your breath of hope upon every life. 
Lord, even as we spoke, Father, that, that fasting releases promises, the promises of God, the fullness of God. Lord, I ask even now, God, would you awaken hope and expectation for your promises to be released upon individual lives, oh God. Lord, would you release even now an expectation, a desire, a yearning for the fullness of your promises, God. Lord, I ask, Lord, that any place, Lord, that there has been almost a dialing down or trying to just live with the portion that has been given or what we've known in seasons past, Lord, we ask, Lord, even now for the awakening of expectation to hearts, the awakening of hearts to dream again and to believe. Lord, I ask, Lord, that our eyes would be like that of a small child, that when we read your word, God, that we would see it afresh and anew. Lord, of that which you have made available to us, of that which you have destined and ordained, but I ask even now, Lord, upon every individual life that there would be a refusal to be robbed, a refusal to be denied. Lord, a holy discontentment, but God, also a holy violence that would come upon each one of us to radically pursue the fullness of your heart and what you've intended for us radically pursue union with Christ fellowship and communion to hear your voice the fullness of your spirit God so God we ask even over these 21 days God that as we draw near to you that you would draw near to us God, we thank you for the fellowship of your Holy Spirit. Amen. If there's anybody that needs personal prayer before you leave, I'm happy to pray for anybody. That